Hey, uh, we're going to go to Romans chapter 13 uh, here. And uh, man, just thank y'all so much, man. Y'all, y'all sound so great today. Great time of worship. Thank you for being here today. Now, back when I was teaching school, we used to always tease that you always knew the kids are going to be really rowdy whenever the weather changed. And uh, y'all are kind of rowdy today. So that's kind of fun. I kind of like that. It's been, it's been really, really good. You know, I don't know who you're pulling for today, but you know, I just want, I just want the Chiefs to win because I want Taylor Swift to be happy. You know, I... <laughs> I just, I just care so much about Taylor, you know, and I, I just really hope that, and then wouldn't it just be so wonderful if the Chiefs win and then Travis proposes to her right there at the Super Bowl and she says yes. Oh, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it be? Oh, it'd be so great. I was, I was listening the other day to the radio. They were saying that uh, because of the, the Swifty effect that there are cosmetic companies now that are trying to get in there. They want to get some advertising and a 30-second ad in the Super Bowl today cost $7 million. Isn't that incredible? $7 bucks for a 30-second ad. So you're going to see cosmetics being advertised during the Super Bowl, and they're willing to fork over $7 million because they know they're going to get that money back. It's really incredible. You know how much money is going to be wagered today? $43 billion. Isn't that incredible? I was, at, I was at a restaurant just the other day. I was having lunch with somebody, and this kid comes by, and uh, he and his mom, they're selling uh, you know, squares uh, for the game. $20 a square. I was like, I can't keep doing that. Get out of here. I didn't say that to him. No, I was real nice about it. But like, this little cute little four-year-old kid, like, hey, sir, would you like to buy a square? No, get out of here. Get lost. I'm going to wager my money like that. And uh, it's amazing, $43 billion. And you know, we don't really think that much about it. But when you think about your, your Bible, uh, there are over 2,000 times that money is brought up in the Bible. And over half of Jesus' parables, he, he spoke about money and possessions. And so, yeah, we have to bring this up in church every once in a while because, you know, we, we really do want to be able to, you know, uh, handle our, our finances in such a way that it adds strength to our life because there are going to be a lot of people tonight who are going to be wagering a lot of money and they're going to lose a lot of money tonight. And they're going to be weaker because of it. And what do they do? They, 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 they put their money in a place that uh, there was a great gamble that it was going to be taken from them. And God's word tells us that if we handle our money according to God's guidance, that we won't lose anything. We'll actually gain so much. And so I want you to be here with me in Romans chapter 13. And I want us to listen. I want you to kind of listen to this. This is our last time in this passage. We're wrapping up this series today. And... In Romans chapter 13, Paul is talking about the Christian and their relationship to government. And the citizens of Rome, man, they're really upset because the Roman government is so corrupt and the wealthy are not paying any taxes and all the burden of all the taxation is falling on the middle class. And just like in America today, they're really upset. And so Paul speaks to them and he brings this teaching into their life about, you know, kind of this, this, this whole new vision for what life is really all about. And so he says here in Romans chapter 8, he says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And so the first thing we talked about, the first pillar of financial strength is this whole idea of uh, of freedom. Okay, It's freedom. Because we talked about uh, when we are free from debt, the Bible uh, kind of portrays debt as something that can take us into slavery. And so we have to be so, so careful about you know, who we owe money to, who we borrow money from. We don't really borrow money. We kind of rent money from lenders and things like that. And they're not really lenders. They're more like landlords, all right? 
And then he goes on to verse 9, he says, The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, and do not covet. And whatever other commandments there are, maybe you summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. What was he talking about there when he says, thou shalt not covet? We talked about this whole idea of contentment. That's the second pillar of financial strength, you know, is this idea of contentment. And that when uh, we are content, it's just a very powerful thing that happens in our lives because it's the ability to spend less than you earn. And, you know, contentment, uh, as Dave Ramsey has said, is the most important financial principle to financial peace and financial freedom. And look what he says in verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, which is, you know, which is, which is kind of envy, that going back to that covetous idea. But what is he saying? He said, our time here is short. This earth is passing away. And so we talked about this whole idea of the third pillar being of detachment. Detachment is one of the pillars of financial strength. And when you have this idea like, this world is not my home. And I'm not, I'm not going to be here all that long. And you might remember we said that we kind of set the direction of our lives and eternity during this little hyphen between your birth and your death. That kind of sets the direction of how you're going to live all your life and eternity. So we want to be detached from this present world. And then lastly, he says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Earlier he there, he had said, uh, you know, strip off the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. And we talked about this last week, you know, the final, the final pillar of financial strength is this whole idea of character. You know, what does it mean to be a man or woman of character, all right? And we want to take on the character of Christ. We want to have that. And so with that said, I want to tell you a great story. <laughs> if you drive to Longview, Texas, uh, you're going to see a Christian university there. It's called Laterno University. And the university was founded to train missionaries, uh, not just in the academic side of what it means to be a missionary, but also they wanted to give them practical skills, agricultural skills, construction skills, mechanical skills, so that <clears throat> missionaries could go overseas and really help people thrive and flourish, build clinics, build hospitals, you know, just like we see Mr. Chapman doing from our church or Mr. Van Zyl doing from our church. And it was founded by Robert Letourneau, who is a legendary businessman. He has an amazing story. Listen to this. He dropped out of school at the age of 14. This was back in 1902. Excuse me. And he worked all around the West Coast. He was an iron worker. He was a machinist, a welder, a bricklayer, a miner, and a carpenter. Did all sorts of odd jobs. And he wanted to kind of advance himself in life. So back in 1909, he took a correspondence course through the mail, and he earned a little degree that was called a Bachelor of Motorcycles. He was a motorcycle mechanic, all right? And so he opened up a garage, and he started working on motorcycles and things like that. Well, then World War I erupted, and he was kind of enlisted into the war. He went to work in a naval shipyard. Now, they were again working on engines. But while he was in the Navy, his garage went bankrupt. And he had no income, but he had to repay his debts after the war ended, and so he was totally broke. And so he took a job repairing a new kind of vehicle. 
It was an earth-moving tractor and a scraper. And he got married, and it was around this time God began to work in his life. He was a very faithful Christian, and he went and told his pastor that he wanted to do more for God. He had two older sisters. They were both missionaries in China. And he, he, he said to his pastor, I want to do more for God. He thought his pastor was going to say something like, hey, you ought to go to seminary. You ought to go to the mission field. And his pastor said, you know, God needs good businessmen too. And though he was deep in debt, he decided that he was going to trust God entirely with his life, with his marriage, with his family, and with his finances. And he purposed in his heart that he would build a business that glorified God and then gave generously to Christian ministries. And so he began a small manufacturing business. Remember, he had been a welder and all sorts of other things. And so he began designing and then operating uh, heavy equipment. He would operate his equipment during the day, make some money, and then he would design and build at night in this shop that he made. And then his manufacturing business exploded. And at its peak, he had 6,000 employees. That's incredible. One time a reporter asked him, said, Mr. Letourneau, how many men work for you? And he said, I think about half of them. All right, so <laughs> that was really, really good. He had three full-time chaplains there at his manufacturing plants there in the Chicago area, and he offered chapel every morning. And it was always well known that if you needed anything, if your family was ever in need, you just go talk to Mr. Letourneau, and he was going to be more than happy to help your family out. He was so generous. He was recognized worldwide as the leader in the design and manufacture of heavy construction equipment. His company supplied 70% of the construction equipment used by the Allies during World War II. And as you can see from the picture, it was huge, some of the things that he built. And by the way, uh, almost every piece of heavy construction equipment that you might see out at one of the plants around town, his designs are incorporated in there somewhere. He was so groundbreaking. And the more God blessed his business, the more he gave. And the more he gave, the more his business grew. It's not like betting on the Super Bowl when you bet on God, okay? And he, was, he became what was called, might call a reverse tither. You know, tithing is giving a tenth of your income to God. Well, he gave 90% of his corporate profits and salary to God's work in the world, and he lived on 10%. And he put it this way. He said, I shovel out the money and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel than I do. I love that so much. No one really knows for certain how much he gave. He built camps in Georgia, in New York State. He built that university. He gave to so many other causes, gave to local churches, et cetera, et cetera. But in 1960, Time Magazine reported that he had given $50 million in his lifetime that would be over $500 million today that he gave to Christian causes. Businessmen in America nicknamed him God's businessman. It was said, whenever you saw him, you saw him with a slide ruler in one hand and a Bible in the other. All right, so, so great. And inscribed on his gravestone, he has this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Just like Michael sang for us a little while ago. And so these four pillars serve as the foundation for what is ultimately the goal, you might say the vision of our lives as followers of Jesus, and that is to live a life of generosity. See, when these four pillars are in place, then that lifestyle 
is supported. And when you have this lifestyle of generosity, that is when your life begins to take on a new color, a new sheen, a new beauty, a new power, and ultimately a new strength. And so that's what we want to talk about today, the strength of a generous life. And when the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. On the surface, it might appear that the way to flourish is to, to hang on to everything that you have, your time, your energy, your money. Just clutch it really hard. Don't let, anybody, don't let it get away from you. But the paradox is that we actually strengthen our lives when we open our hands, we open our heart, and we live generously and give to what God is doing in the world. And so the title today is The Strength of a Generous Life. Verse 14 of Romans 13, Paul says, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been granted eternal life, victory over death, and inheritance in heaven. And now the call goes out to you and me. You have gained Christ. Now clothe yourself with him. Live as Christ lived. Live a Godward life. Live for God's purpose in the world. Glorify God in the life that you live, the time that you have. And you might be like me sometimes, like, well, what does that look like? What does that look like to live like Jesus, to clothe ourselves with Christ? What was Jesus' defining purpose during his time on earth? Galatians chapter 1 tells us well. Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a sacrifice to save us, so he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will and purpose of God the Father. God is a giver. Jesus is a giver. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. But Jesus is the greatest born giver in all of human history. There were no limitations. He gave everything, even his own life. There were no imperfect motivations. He did it all in love. And by his giving, Jesus makes you and I more wealthy than we can ever comprehend. But also by his giving, Jesus made himself wealthy beyond all comprehension because now he sits at the right hand of God the Father with all authority and power under his feet. And so in his giving, he was given too. Now the same truth is true for you and me. First Corinthians chapter four, Paul says, I always thank God for you because of the grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus. And I thank God because in Christ, you have been made rich in every way. I know we say this and I want to, I want to, I do, less I agree, I, I do want to be more like Jesus. I, I do want to be more giving, but man, when I even think about it, it's so hard to think about and how do I even start? How do I even begin? Well, uh, I, I have somebody I want y'all to meet today. And John, if you'll come up and help me with those. Uh, I, I want you to meet Eddie and Justine. Can y'all come on up here for a minute? Eddie and Justine are going to come up here. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the giving lifestyle, a lifestyle of generosity. Thank you very much, sir. All right. And uh, I, I really appreciate them. So here's what I did. I asked, uh, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I don't, I don't know what anybody gives in our church, and, and that's on purpose, okay? Uh, but I asked our, I asked our uh, stewardship team, you know, uh, who are some families that, you know, give consistently to the ministry of Faith Covenant Church? And uh, y'all's name was on the list. 
<laughs> okay? And so I asked them if they'd be willing to kind of, you know, just talk a little bit about, you know, what this lifestyle of generosity looks like. And so I really appreciate y'all doing this today. Thank you very, very much. Man, and y'all are sure special to us. You really are. How are the kids today? Everybody good? Just cold? Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, how long have y'all been a part of Faith Covenant Church now? I mean, I know y'all were here before. Yeah, we're re-members. Yeah. Re- <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how long were y'all here before? Five years? Nine-ish years. Yeah. But two and a half of those nine years we weren't here. Yeah, yeah. So y'all been around FCC for about seven yeah, years, yeah, something yeah. like that. That's great. That's great. Okay. And so there again, I don't know anything about your, your giving record or anything like that. I just want y'all to know that. But, you know, we, we were told that y'all are, you know, just generous to the church. So was there a time in your life or an event or a relationship maybe that you can point to that sort of sets you in this direction and caused you to want to choose a lifestyle of giving? So we both grew up in church and we knew tithing was something we were supposed to do. And we got, after we got married, we tithed when we remembered to tithe or when we showed up for church, which wasn't always uh, every Sunday. Um, And then in our first small group here at FCC, we were in a super good group um, and we did a study on money. And Eddie and I were one of the younger couples, so we got to learn a lot mm-hmm. from all these people. And we really walked away from that study kind of convicted that tithing was something we needed to be more serious about, doing it on a consistent basis, not whether we showed up to church or not, or if we remembered. Um, so that really set us to do it as a discipline. And then our second small group here at FCC, we talked about first fruits one time, which is like this concept that God deserves your first and your best. And when you do that, you're, mm. you're um, really showing him that you trust he's going to come and provide the rest. And I think that kind of was the heart change that happened for us. So really? the discipline came first and then the heart change came after yeah. that. Oh, that's awesome. And that's always so true in the Christian life, isn't yep. it? Like you make a choice to do something, like love your husband, for example. Yeah. You make a choice to love your husband. <laughs> and then later on, you know, the, the emotions follow. Yeah, that's so, so, so good. <laughs> so join a small group if you haven't Yeah, no, that's so great. Uh, Eddie's awesome. I'm just giving Eddie a hard time. Yeah. So what are the, some of the key biblical principles? You kind of mentioned one already, but that, you know, or the, maybe the promises that, that kind of moved you to live a life of giving and kind of keep you motivated to continue. Yeah, what is that? So um, the main principle that's been driving us, it's, if you're in a small group right now, it won't be new to you, but just the concept of God owns it all. That's, you know, this whole message, this whole series. But um, once we finally had that mindset shift to where it isn't our money, it just makes it a lot easier to give it away because it isn't mine. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I, I kind of think of it more like, I mean, we are stewards. That's what we're called to be. So I think of it more like, I'm, uh, we're the bank, or we're like the, I don't know, if, we're the bank for God. And whenever he's ready for his money that he's trusting us with to go somewhere else and tells mm. us to send it there, yeah, we just got to do it. There's no, uh, mm. when I go to my bank, they don't have any say. When I say I want my money, they give it to me. I think of it that same way. It's oh, really yeah. uh, Ooh, that's good. kind of how, yeah, how we like see, that. started yeah. to think about it. Yeah, because if you go to the bank and you're like, yeah, we don't, we don't feel it. You know, right. you know? <laughs> That's good. That's really great. Wow. Yeah, God owns it all, man. So what are some of the biggest challenges you faced to, like, to be faithful, to be consistent as, as givers? 
That's all. That was when I when I when we were y'all's age. That was a big. That was my biggest challenge. Was you know if something comes up. You know, hey, when we we need to use that money somewhere else or do something else. So how about how about y'all? What's what's been helpful? A couple big challenges is like one. There have been specific times when God has laid it on my heart to give some crazy amount of money to something or Eddie. And when it's not you that God is calling to you, like in your marriage, uh, it's not easy to be supportive. Yeah. So like when I'm like, hey, Eddie, I think we just need to give this amount to this place. Um, and I wasn't doing that. <laughs> he's like, oh, I, oh, hmm. And vice versa. That's happened both times. And so like yeah. to yeah. be um, supportive of Eddie when Eddie has that calling has been very tough because I'm like, yeah. hmm. <laughs> Hmm. Let's pray about that. <laughs> yeah, a long time. <laughs> and maybe that'll circle go away. Back. Let's circle back. Um, yeah. And then uh, when we moved to Ponca, I, I quit working. Um, so we had to have our income, you know, cut in half. And that was kind of a first like financial challenge of, okay, this is, we can walk the walk now and not just talk the talk. And mm. so being consistent um, givers, not just tithers, but givers like above and beyond during that time was yeah. we knew would be a real uh, show of our faith and so that yeah. was something we going into that we were very prayerful about that's great yeah yes, sir. It, it's not 100 percent god you know nothing special about us or anything but whenever we were in ponca we didn't you know for a second consider not tithing or not being not continuing generous being generous and um for that like year, 15 months or so, the number of like checks in the mail from like a refund from our old mortgage or like oh, yeah. stuff that never happens. These people never give you money. They, you know, <laughs> say you owe more money. It was unreal. Like it's every, yeah. I felt like every month was like, oh, we got some more money in the mail. Like it, yeah. it was God. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. It's really incredible, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because like, I know for me and Melanie, uh, there are things that she cares about more deeply than I do and vice versa. And so sometimes she'll want to give to something and be like, okay, yeah, let's pray about that. You know, and by the same token, she has to do the same for me. But, you know, it's kind of like in marriage, you know, if one person wants to paint the room blue, another person wants to paint it yellow, what color green is God's will? <laughs> you know, and so you do that sometimes. That's so, so good. Yeah. And yes, sir, you're right. You know, it's amazing how God just moves and works. You know, like I was just thinking the other day, we lived in our house now for 33 years, I believe. We've had the same air conditioner for 33 years. I was, you know, a friend of mine was saying, "Man, our air conditioner went out, you know, and it's only 15 years old." I was like, "Well, mine's 33 years old, you know." And it's just amazing how the Lord, you know, just kind of cares for you and shelters you, you know, when you're faithful to give. That's awesome. I love that so much. So, are there any like practical tips or tricks of the trade that you'd like to share with like your church family? That maybe there's somebody out there that's. Like, man, I really want to, but I really don't know how to get started. Or, you know, what are some practical ideas? Anything about that that would help you out or help, might help them out? So you always say, like, opposites attract. But this was maybe the one time it didn't because we are two super nerds that like math a lot. And so like, we are very anal about it, honestly. Like, we know how much is coming in. We have formulas in the spreadsheet to like calculate our tithe and then when we pay it we switch the color to make sure like we mark it each month so we can go back and see like 
this is how much we paid. We did pay it because it's this color. And so like we <laughs> get a system. That's my advice. Get a system that works for you. And if you need a system, we love doing math. So we will help you. <laughs> we, we do have spreadsheets for everything. <laughs> Plan our vacations with the spreadsheet and such. But uh, a yeah. little less, uh, I guess, on the nose, but applicable would be another thing we did like early in our marriage. We didn't, we, we didn't just... Uh, become generous overnight like we did pray about it mm. we prayed to god to like give us a generous heart help us to change change how we think and think about money and think about things and be willing to give because it it took god changing our hearts i mean we we give better now than when we were first married and it's been a like a, a growth mm. that's come from an answer prayer with that yeah yeah. yeah, I know this is maybe a little bit personal, so if you don't have to elaborate on it if you don't want to, but uh, you know, uh, Ian, your your youngest has had some some health challenges and things like that. I mean, has has it ever been has has a thought ever entered your mind like, man, we're paying so much in medical bills, we got so much going on, man, maybe we ought to back off a little bit, you know, and use that on Ian, you know, or has he, has that ever been a a consideration at all? No, we we um. When we hit our max out of pocket on insurance, we were going to get it back from the insurance. So we focused our our yeah. um, heart on, but no, really, like um, my, your next question, I was going to go into it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I didn't work and didn't get money in October and November for that time with Ian. And again, we're anal and we know how much comes in and how much goes out. And we ended that season of me not working and not making money, like our checking account was literally higher than it has ever been in the whole year whenever we had all these expenses and like we were traveling i was in the hospital i wasn't making money and it was just like that trust me the math doesn't add up so it's like <laughs> it is god it's just like he and yeah he didn't even have to do that and like he just showed up wow it's like the never-ending jar of oil or yeah in the bible or the, the yeah. loaves and fishes type of thing it didn't we don't really know how it worked out, but yeah. it worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You really don't know how it happened. And, that, and that's what happens so many times when you, you know, because I've heard people share these same kind of stories so many times. I've, you know, ministry for 35 years. And, and you, you hear people say all the time, like, we don't know how it happened, but it happened. And we don't really know exactly where the money came from. But all of a sudden you look up one day and you're like, hey, my kids have graduated college debt free. I don't know how it happened. You know, things like that. It's just incredible. Yeah, it really is. Uh, any other advice or encouragement you might give to somebody who's kind of like, kind of on the fence a little bit, kind of struggling, you know, like, man, I'm just not sure if I could or should. Yeah. So an encouragement I would give is we have never, I guess I'll say I, I think we, I've never given an amount that I felt called to give and then regretted it later. Like look back and said, oh, I needed whatever, mm. that X dollars for whatever other reason. Like I've never, mm. it's never happened. We've always... Um, like we've always been taken care of and had more than enough. It's like, I guess kind of like that, um, that Laterno guy, like God's shovel is bigger. Like it really is true. We don't give, we don't give to be given back to by God. Like that's not our intent. Yeah. But that, that is just what happens. We, we're always, we're always taken care of no matter what we, no matter what we give. Amen. Amen. Because ultimately it is a character issue. I'm giving because I want to take on the character of Christ. I want to be clothed in Christ, but no denying the benefits of it. Yeah, man. Hey, I just want to pray for you all real quick. Thank you all so much for doing this today. Let me pray for you. 
Lord, I just thank you so much for Eddie and Justine. Lord, they have been uh, just so precious to me. And Lord, just the entire ministry of our church. And, and Lord, I just thank you so much that, uh, Lord, you've been so good, uh, Lord, to, to share your life with them in so many ways. But Lord, just to see their faithfulness and their generosity, Lord, just inspires my heart so much. And I just pray, Lord, that you continue to bless their home to the uttermost. Lord, I pray your blessings on Charlotte, on Ian, Eddie, and Justine, Lord, that they would just continue to see your abundance in their home in every way, in every realm. And I just ask this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Hey, let's show them our appreciation. That was really hard to do. Thank you all very much. Thank you all. Gosh, so good. So, so good. All right. So, with that said, uh, kind of wrap this up today. All right. If you would, take your Bible and flip over to 1 Corinthians. How do we do this? All right. Really practically speaking, they've got a lot, they have a lot of practical tips. They're very, very good. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, the Apostle Paul was really trying to convince the, the people of Corinth to, to live a life, you know, like I said, that's clothed in Christ. And kind of the, one of the ways he does that is he, he really kind of uh, <clears throat> exhorts them, you know, to think about eternal things, to think about your eternal life. And so he starts in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he goes on and on about, you know, resurrection and eternity. And I always, I just always read this passage at funerals, at the graveside, because it gives so much hope and confidence to people who've lost a loved one. And so starting in verse 54, look what he says here. He says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says this now, verse 58, kind of transitioning thoughts here. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And then he transitions over in this area of finances. Chapter 16. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. All right? So what do we learn from this? Paul wrote this. He wasn't trying to comfort the afflicted. He was trying to afflict the comfortable, okay? The, the people of Corinth, they were kind of timid. They were kind of fearful, kind of half-hearted. And he just, there was just so much unrealized potential in this church in Corinth. And he said, I want you to be strong. I want you to stand your ground. I want you to thrive. I want you to flourish and prevail in this world. And so he says, he says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And this You see an image here of a person who possesses real strength, in the face of all that life throws at them. And it's as if they have found this strength as a refuge. How is that possible? Look at verse 58. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. What we give ourselves fully to is the most important decision that we make in life. And it boils down to that pillar of character. You know, which one are we going to choose? We can give ourselves fully to our, our gratification, the deeds of darkness that Paul calls it, or we can give ourselves fully to the Lord. And what does he say here? He says, first of all, you need to give, you know, give yourself fully, but give expectantly. Uh, look at verse 58. 
You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God promises that your giving, your sacrifices to God, whether it's time, whether it's your energy, whether it's your money, it's not in vain. There is a purpose and there is a reward for it. It pays huge dividends in this life and in the next, as uh, Eddie and Justine put so well. Generosity is not just giving to God and you know, kind of waving goodbye to it. All right. When you, when you generously give to what God is doing in the world, you're doing it by faith, believing that he's going to give back more than you gave. Again, whether it's your time, whether it's your energy, whether it's your money. And just as there are natural laws that are at work in our world, like the law of gravity, there are spiritual laws as well. And generosity activates this idea of, or this law that God has of sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, Paul said, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Mr. Letourneau's life was an example of that. God enlarged his store of seed so that he could enlarge his harvest of righteousness. More came in, so more could go out. So kind of, I have this idea. Imagine two farmers out in the field, and they're talking about what to do with their seed, okay? One farmer says, man, this seed is expensive. I can't afford to scatter it. I mean, what if it doesn't rain? You know, I'm going to lose all that money that I spent on all this seed. And so he puts his seed into storage in his barn. Then what happens? The rodents come and eat it. The fungus infects it, et cetera. And he loses what seed that he had. But the other farmer says, if I sit on my seed, it'll never grow. I'll never gain. And so he plants his seed. He sows his seed. And the law of germination takes over. It's a very powerful process. And it might appear when that seed goes down into the ground, it gets covered over with dirt. It might appear that it's gone, but the opposite is true. Because if you allow the seed to fulfill its appointed purpose, the farmer will get it back again and so much more. And so generosity activates God's miracle of multiplication. Germination, a very powerful, natural process God put in place that returns to you more than you invested. And generosity is a very powerful spiritual process that will return to you more than you invested. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi was speaking from the Lord, and the Lord speaking through Malachi said, Bring the whole tithe, the tenth, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to receive it. God says, test me. I love to give. And if you will give to what I'm doing in the world, I will give back to you so that you can give even more. God loves to give to those who trust him. He, lo- he gives abundantly to those who give by faith. And I, I, I just, I believe this because I, I've heard the same story that Eddie and Justine told so many times, that Robert Letourneau told so many times, I've heard this, generous people can be confident that they will see God miraculously provide above and beyond what they gave. And so there's this whole new vision for life, a vision of generosity. Clothe yourselves in Christ. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, One person scatters his wealth, but it still increases. Another hoards it unjustly, 
but this leads only to poverty. But a person who spreads blessings will be enriched. And so practically speaking, that's kind of the philosophy behind giving. Practically, how do you do it? Look at chapter 16, verse 1. He says about the collection for God's people. He said, this is what I told the people of Galatia to do. Number one, give regularly. Because he says in uh, verse 2, on the first day of every week, you notice what Eddie and Justine said, giving is built into the rhythms of their life. It happens consistently. It happens regularly. Giving to God is one of our spiritual disciplines. It's kind of built into our lifestyle. It's built into the rhythm of our life. If you want God's blessing on your finances, then you want to build your giving into your budgeting, okay? And be regular. The godly love to give, Proverbs 21 says. Number two, Paul says, give personally. He says, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. It's real tempting to think, yeah, I kind of know what that guy makes based on his address and the car he drives. I'll just let him give, you know? But he says, each one of us, that Paul says the giving should come from all believers, the wealthy and the working class. It should come from everyone because no one is exempted from acting in faith or enjoying the blessings of giving, all right? Uh, God wants to bless all of us, no matter what our income level might be. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, he saw, Jesus saw two uh, uh, people putting their gifts into the offering box a poor widow put in two small coins, and then there were the Pharisees who were putting in large amounts of money, and they were pouring in all these coins, so it made a lot of noise. And he said to his disciples standing there, said, truly I tell you, this poor widow put in more than everyone because they put in their leftovers, but she gave out of her poverty. The widow's gift was more useful to God, more delightful to God than all the rest of the larger amounts. And her eternal reward, Jesus says, will be much greater than the wealthy who gave larger amounts, but it was a lesser sacrifice. So that kind of brings up the third point here is that Paul says, give proportionately. Proportionally. He says in verse 2, give in keeping with your income. The phrase is more, more uh, accurate or more literally, uh, as you prosper. Give as you prosper. And so he's not necessarily instructing the Corinthians, hey, you need to give 10%, just hard stop right there. And I know, I, I know that sometimes we kind of think that way, but he's saying, uh, hey, for some of you, giving a tenth, you won't break a sweat. For some of you others, giving a tenth, you're going to be sweating bullets, you know? <laughs> and give as God has prospered you. Give to God by faith. Give to God, as Eddie and Justine said, as a matter of sincere prayer. Lord, what would you have us to give? How do you want us to trust you? And like some Christians have said, like Mr. Letourneau, that they are led by the Spirit of God to give more than a tenth. You know, that happens. I've, I've known lots of people in the course of my life, of course of my ministry, who give above and beyond that 10%. And as, you, as, as Eddie mentioned a moment ago, when you shovel it out, God shovels it back in, and God has a bigger shovel. Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And then the last principle is this, to give deliberately. He says, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Here's what he means by that. Paul's like, hey, I'm going to come to Corinth, and when I get there, 
I'm going to ask for this collection for the church down in Jerusalem. And he said, if, I, if you wait till I get there, you're going to be pressured to give. You know, and we're going to have some great worship services and all that. And you're going to give kind of spontaneously, but not really systematically or deliberately. And I know quite a few folks who say, well, I just give whenever the Lord tells me to. You know, like I get a quiver in my liver, you know, and that's when I give, you know, something like that. And for them, it's not a deliberate life choice or a lifestyle. Generosity is haphazard at best. And by the way, the people that I know that live that way, I appreciate that so much. Lots of people in my family, when this topic comes up, this is how they give. And I wouldn't necessarily classify them as enjoying the the benefits of the generous life. And Paul tells the Corinthians that he doesn't want the collecting to be done when you have to do it under pressure because you're feeling guilt. He said, I want you to develop a life strategy for giving to God's work in the world. God wants us to to give with, with prayer, with planning, and a sense of purpose. And he said to the Corinthians, I don't want you to feel like you're being forced into giving. Never want that. But it should be a deliberate part of your lifestyle. And so as we conclude, I want you to see this verse of Scripture. Proverbs 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. A righteous person runs to it and is safe. A rich person's wealth is his strong city and is like a high wall in his imagination. Before a destruction, a person's heart is arrogant, but humility comes before honor. You know, when the the writer of Proverbs here, Solomon, he says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Why is the name of the Lord such a strong concept? You know, Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Our salvation is tied up with the name of the Lord. The first thing that we do when we meet somebody, the first time I met John, I extend my hand out to him. I say, my name is Les. I met Terry this morning. My name is Les. My name is Terry. What are we doing? We're saying, hey, I desire a relationship with you. You know, you're in the checkout line at Walmart. You're like at the checker. Hey, my name's Les. Hey, you're weird. Get out of here. You know, (laughs) that's not how it works. You know, when you ask someone their name, you offer your name. You're saying, hey, I desire a relationship with you to call upon the name of the Lord. What are you saying? Lord, I want a relationship with you. I desire you, Lord. I depend upon you. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. And then a person, a rich person's wealth is his strong city. And it's like a high wall in his imagination. He's saying you may believe if you have wealth that it is a refuge for you, but you're only imagining things. You're only imagining things. Jesus, Acts chapter 20, we have a quotation from Jesus. Be mindful of the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it makes one happier to give than to receive. Just real quickly, I just want to share one thing with you. One of the longest university studies ever done in U.S. history was done in the University of California. They interviewed uh, 200 teenagers back in the 1920s, and the researchers would come back and interview those same people every 10 years. They did so until the 1990s, when they were in their 80s, and they asked them all sorts of questions. They would interview them for two hours every 10 years, and they wanted to know, what causes people to flourish? What causes people to thrive? What causes people to be happy? 
After 70 years of interviews in the 1990s, 180 of those people were still alive and they culminated their findings. The most important factor leading to human flourishing, human happiness, is generosity. Generosity. They said generous people were stronger financially. They tended to earn more and they're more fiscally stable. Generous people had more successful families. They lived happier lives because their family lives were happier. Generous people were stronger physically. They were less likely to have so many of those comorbidities because they didn't, they didn't drink they, in excess. They didn't smoke. They didn't all those other things. And they were just stronger physically. And then generous people were stronger and more successful socially. They had better friendships. They had a bigger social network. So many of those people were involved in church. And so, yeah, it makes one happier to give than to receive. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for this beautiful vision that's been laid out for us by your precious word, but also by Eddie and Justine this morning. Lord, of a life of genuine strength, Lord, flourishing, a life that prevails in this world. And I just thank you so much for this today, Jesus. And Lord, I, I just ask that for all of us here today, Lord, that you would just move and work in our hearts, Father, to show us, first of all, Lord, how much you've given to us. Lord, just how extravagantly you've poured out in abundance on each of us through Jesus. But then, Lord, I just pray for all of us here that to a greater degree than we ever had, that we could clothe ourselves in Christ today and, Lord, be able to leave this place more generous people than we came. And, Lord, if there's someone here today who's really struggling in their life, I just pray, Father, that you just show them how much you love them, how generous you are with them, and, Lord, just give them a vision of a generous life today or how you want to work that in and through them. And I just pray this in your name today, Jesus. Amen. Amen.